kids are pretty special. That is, uh, and and we are we are blessed with children, but we're also blessed with uh, some teachers uh, who are gifted and passionate about pouring themselves into these young lives. We are uh, just starting our study in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we did a bit of an introduction, and Cody took us through the first few verses. Um, The story continues, and uh, we're going to pick it up here in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 7. I invite you to read along with me. So this is speaking about John the Baptist, and it says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, but the angels were were ministering to him. Lord, help us to understand um, uh, the richness and the significance of these events in the life of Jesus and in his ministry. For these words that that Mark has recorded for us so that we can get a better picture of what it is that you are trying to communicate to us here this morning. So speak to our lives, Lord, and speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark is, is continuing to set the scene, right? We, the last time we were together, he was talking about uh, John the Baptist and uh, how John the Baptist was to, to prepare the way for the Lord, for the coming Messiah, and, and make straight his paths. And we hear uh, here in this uh, a little bit of John's message that after me comes he who is mightier than I. And we hear the message and we start to, to be introduced to some of the players in Mark's story. Uh, this story, the, the, the story of Jesus Christ, the good news, as he said in the first opening verse, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're introduced to Jesus We're also introduced to the antagonist, to Satan, the adversary who was there to to try and discredit and destroy and and distract from the message, from the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, It's like a 
an Indiana Jones movie because Mark, what Mark is writing here, we're just jumping right into the action. Things are happening quickly. There is this, this sense and feeling that God is on the move. You'll notice in verse 10 that it says that, that uh, when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens torn open. In this first chapter, John or Mark uses immediately some six or seven times here. We, we see it again in verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20. And immediately he called them. Verse 23. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house. There is this sense of urgency. God is on the move. Things are happening. God has been silent for over 400 years in the lives of the uh, people of Israel. And now he's, he's moving. The time is right. Things are happening. And, and there is this sense of urgency. Um, it's the, the Greek word that's being used here for it, being translated immediately is euthios, which can be also translated straight away. And so each one of these situations we see, and straight away Jesus did this, and straight away the Spirit did that, and straight away they followed. It's kind of interesting just if you remember the prophecy of Isaiah that, that was quoted in the second verse here. Where he says, Behold, I send a messenger before you who will prepare your the way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. It's the exact same word. This is the, the adjective verb of the adverb that he then uses later on. And so here we can see God is making the path straight for Jesus. That as he's moving on straight away, and so as we continue to read this, you want to be keeping that in mind, that this is God making straight the path for Christ, just as he had prophesied through Isaiah. Are you sure those windows are closed? So it says here that in, in verse 4 uh, or verse 5, all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. Uh, but then, and, and that's kind of what you would expect. Jerusalem was the site of the temple, right? And, and Judah, Judea was the province that was the southern kingdom. That was the, the part of the land of Israel that had, had more than the northern kingdom remained fast to God. Um, that There were good kings at least back in the Old Testament there in Judah. And so uh, Judea was kind of the religious elite. And so you would kind of expect that's where people were coming from. The, those that were spiritually sensitive would go out to see John. And yet we see here in verse 9, what does it say about Jesus? In those days, Jesus came from where? Nazareth in Galilee. 
Nazareth was, was the place where, where Herod Antipas was ruling. This, this man who had divorced his wife and then married his brother's wife, that, that, uh, that he was, was the one who, who had been uh, so sinful and had, had been accused of killing so many different family members. Uh, this, was, this was where he was from, and, and this was the, the land of the northern kingdom where there were uh, uh, golden calves that were set up for people to be worshiping. And yet this is where Jesus came from. You expect that maybe Jesus would have come from the place of the religious elite, right? But instead, he's coming from this sinful, secular part of the nation, and that's where he's coming from. One of the things that you're going to be looking for as we go through Mark is all of the places where Jesus disappoints people and their expectations. They have all of these ideas of what Messiah would be like. And in some cases, Jesus actually goes out of his way to disappoint those expectations. One of the biggest blocks to faith that you're going to see of the people that Jesus interacts, interacts with, especially those that you would expect to have faith in Jesus. But the biggest block that they have is that Jesus doesn't measure up with their expectations of who the Messiah should be or what, what he should do. And already we see right at the beginning as Jesus is introduced he disappoints us in our expectations. Verse 10, immediately as he came up out of the water, the heavens were torn open. This, this is a, a, a violent interaction. In, in the other Gospels, when, when they talk about this event, uh, they have much gentler words that are being used. The Greek word is, the heavens were being opened. Um, and actually, that's not correct. The heavens were opened. And, and that is, is in, a, in the, 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 the um, verb that's being used is an active verb, which means the heavens were opening themselves as, as Jesus came up out of the water. But Mark, he's so much more dramatic. He says, the heavens were being torn open. Again, here we have this picture of God who has been silent for 400 years, and now he is, and the verb is in a passive. So it's not that the heavens were opening, touring themselves, but they were being torn open. Somebody, some agent, was actively invading into human existence, into our space. God could not be held back. Um, the, the word that is being used, the Greek word is uh, schizomenos, which is a, a much more uh, a, a violent, intense, this, this idea of being rent in two. It kind of reminds me of, of um, one of the prophecies of Isaiah. It was a, a call that Isaiah had in Isaiah 64. Keep your finger in Mark, but if you want to turn over to Isaiah 64... I think maybe this is partly what is being hinted at here. Uh, so Isaiah has been talking about um, 
the sinfulness of Israel, about the way that they have rebelled against God time and time again. And, and in chapter 64, uh, Isaiah is crying out to God. And he says, Oh, that you would tear or rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when your fire kindles brushwood and the fire uh, causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence. There's this idea of God uh, uh, interacting where he is, is, is conquering and coming hard at the earth for their sinfulness. And, and it's the same kind of picture that we have in Mark where God is tearing open the heavens so that he can enter into human existence. Uh, but this time it's not in judgment. It is in this cataclysmic event of love. That God is invading our space to come and share his love for us. Mark uses this word schizomenos two times. Here at the beginning of the story. Can you think of where might be another point in Mark's story that that word tearing might come into play? At the cross. At the temple. As Jesus dies in verse in chapter uh, make sure I get this right. Chapter 15, verse 38. Again, keep your finger at the beginning of Mark, but let's turn over to there. Mark chapter 15 and verse 38 and 39. This is the crucifixion of Jesus at the point of His death. Jesus has gone through and He is on the cross. He said His, uh, Eloi, Eloi, lemma shabbathani, my God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And then verse 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed His last. And the curtain of the temple was schizomenai, torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. So at the beginning of the story, we see God invading our space. At the end of the story, we see God tearing the temple to invite us into his space and all of it centers around the person of Jesus the Messiah who has come to save us from our sins what an amazing picture bookmarks both ends of this keep your finger in Mark 15 we're going to go back there but Jesus the, the heavens are torn schizomenite open And then we see that the Spirit descends like a dove. This is a, a descriptive comparison. This isn't that there was actually a dove that was flying down and landing on Jesus, although that makes really good paintings and things like that. 
But this is a description in the way that the the Spirit of God descended on Jesus, that He hovered down, just like you've seen those as a dove comes into land and just kind of hovers there. The the Spirit of God came down and hovered over Jesus, descended just like a dove. And Mark uses an interesting preposition here, a unique one that none of the other um, uh, gospel authors uh, use. Uh, they all talk about how the, the Spirit of God descended upon, and they use the epi, which is the Greek word epi, which is to, to come down upon. But, but Mark uses in. And, it's, and, and it can be uh, translated on, but, but more often in Scripture, Greek is trans, that Greek word on it, or in is translated into. We see the the Holy Spirit descending into Jesus like a dove. Just like we are in need of the indwelling Spirit of God in our lives in order to be able to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling of Christ. Jesus, in His life, in His ministry here, was indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came into him to equip him and empower him for his ministry here on earth. And then we have that glorious words coming from the Father. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Other times in Mark on the Transfiguration Mountain, in some of the other Gospels as they talk about this particular event, the the voice says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Those were messages for the people that were listening. This message was for Jesus. (laughs) In His humanness and his frailty and weakness as he has put on human flesh he needed at that moment to hear from his father (laughs) this is my beloved son and i am so pleased with you what what beautiful interaction that we have here a, a glimpse into the intimacy and the relationship of father and son um, this, this passage, this, this description of Jesus' um, baptism is, is very interesting because it, it bookends, and, and, and we read the other end of this bookend. So in this beginning part, in the opening of his gospel, uh, what do we see? We see God tearing open heaven and entering into human space. We see the Spirit of God descending into Jesus like a dove. We hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son. Let's go back to Mark chapter 15 and and look a little more closely at, at the other end of the story. Verse 15 in chapter... Uh, starting at chapter 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. So here again we have that tearing. God 
invading his, our space in the first part, and now in this last part, God tearing open and inviting us into his space. We have um, uh, that uh, when the centurion who saw, verse 38, who stood facing him and saw that in this way he breathed his last. The Greek word that's being used there is exenumison. Those of you that have spent time with Greek know that pneumos is a word for the spirit, but also is also used to describe breath. It's described to use wind. And so when it says here that Jesus breathed his last, it could also very easily be understood to say the spirit, his spirit, left him. And so at the beginning of the story, we have the Spirit coming, entering into him. And here now at the end of the story, we see the Spirit. As he dies, he gives up his Spirit and it leaves him. And what does the centurion say? Truly this man was the Son of God. What did we have in the first? The Father saying, this is my Son. It's this beautiful Uh, symmetry that Mark has worked into his story of balancing off these two things and and centering around the, the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ and showing its completeness in Him, that it's perfectly done in, in, in His beginning and in His end. This is all He came to accomplish for us. And it's a marvelous picture that we have here. The story continues. Mark continues to build that, that urgency. And he says in verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And He was in the wilderness for 40 days. This is a, a, a bit of a challenge for us, right? Why would the Spirit drive Jesus towards the wilderness? Drive Him towards the temptation? There is part of God's plan for us as followers of His is to to endure and go through temptation, to face the adversary, to face the challenges that He throws at us. And, and, And just as much as we have seen in the first part of this story the the divinity of God, the, the deity of Jesus. Mark also wants us to be aware that if we're going to know Jesus as He truly is, we also have to know that He is human. That He is frail. That just like us, He is full of weaknesses and susceptible to the temptations of the adversary, of Satan, in His life. And if you are going to know who Jesus is, you need to have both of those held in tension at the same time, that He is divine, that He is the Son of God. But He's also human like us, with all of the weaknesses and, and, and frailty that all of that entails. And so Jesus goes out into the wilderness and He faces the temptation. 
Mark doesn't go into a lot of detail. He is, again, building up that, that urgency. So he doesn't spend time in talking about what that temptation looked like. We can go to the other Gospels to find out more about uh, what those temptations were and how Jesus responded to it. But Mark's point here in this is that he's showing the frailty of Jesus. And then he goes on to say how, um, and he was with the wild animals and the angels ministered to him. Why did he mention wild animals? It's a good question. And there's, lo- there's a bunch of different ideas that people have about that. Uh, some have suggested that perhaps it is a picture of Adam, right? As he is there being created. And this is the, the second Adam. As God brought all of the animals in, to, to Adam to be named, that here that we're, we're uh, Picturing the new creation of all of these animals come and gathering around their king, their creator. That's a possibility. Um, some have also have suggested that perhaps this is a, a, um, a message out to all of those people, uh, those Christians who, who themselves were facing Severe persecution. And we know that that's probably the case, that this was written at least um, close to, if not after, the death of Peter. And so we know that, that Nero is already in charge in Rome. He is the emperor. Uh, that, that, that he is in, in actively pursuing and persecuting Christians. We know that many Christians have already faced the wild animals in the circus. And, 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 and the, the fear and the terror as, as those animals come at them. And perhaps that's what is being messaged here. And there was this, uh, coupled with that encouragement, that the angels were ministering to Jesus. Just as the angels were ministering to Jesus, those of you that are facing that kind of terrible persecution, the angels are there caring for you. But whatever the case, I think that last bit is again this this indication for us that Jesus was human. This is the creator of everything. The one through whom all things have been made, and yet here he is being ministered to by angels. That he had needs. The one who was able to, 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 to create all of this beauty that's around us is now at a point he needs to be ministered. He has physical needs. He has hunger and thirst. And God is caring for him. Just like for us, we need the care and protection of our Father, of our Lord the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it is, it is this understanding that, that Jesus in His humanness is just like us. And so important for us to depend on the work of God and the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that's why going back up to the description of John's message, 
We're saying that after me comes one, comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and tie. Yes, he is all of that. But he is also the giver of the Holy Spirit. And this is, uh, this statement from from John has, has created some turmoil and controversy within the church trying to decide, uh, are, are there two baptisms that we need to be involved in? Uh, th- we, we read in Acts there was uh, John's, uh, John's baptism was, was inadequate because, and, and we see there, there um, in verse 4, uh, that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as I was studying this passage, it was reminding me of our message from last Sunday at Easter. That yes, we need that repentance from sins. We need the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus' death on Good Friday completed that for us. The pouring out of His blood washed our sins away. But if, if Jesus' ministry stopped there, we would still be trapped in this human conundrum of wanting to do good, but in our own human frailty and sinfulness, unable to. We don't don't just need forgiveness of sins. We need a new heart. We need the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and transform us from the inside out. We need, to, we need to have a risen living Savior who's now, as our good shepherd, leading and guiding us, showing us how to step, how to respond to all of the chaos and confusion that's going on in this world. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and empower us to live and produce the fruit of the Spirit, that character of Christ in us. And so, John's baptism was important, but it was incomplete. And for us, we need to look more than just the forgiveness of sins. We need to also seek out that regeneration that comes through the Holy Spirit coming and Jesus making us new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Whoever's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. And just as Jesus needed the Holy Spirit in order to live out his ministry, the mission that God had sent him on, you and I are just as dependent on the Holy Spirit to to make us new. And then also to lead and guide us and empower us for the task and the mission that God has for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we need you. We try and hide it. We try and pretend that we are strong enough in ourselves. We... Those, those dark places in our lives, we, uh, we, we mask them off so nobody else knows about them. 
But in the honesty of our own hearts, Lord, we have to admit that we need you. We need you to make us that new creation. So Lord, I pray for us as this gathered of Christ together. Lord, my first prayer is that each one would know that baptism of repentance, of forgiveness, that they would have come to that place of recognizing their need for a Savior, their need for You to come and intervene on their behalf, that they are sinners. And to receive that forgiveness that comes through the the spilt blood of Jesus Christ. But then Lord, we would also experience that baptism of the Holy Spirit. That we would experience the new life that comes through Jesus Christ. That You would make us new. Thank You that all of that is wrapped up and perfected in the person of Jesus Christ, this divine Messiah who has come to rescue us. And He certainly does offer us the forgiveness of sins, but when we receive His forgiveness, He also comes and makes us new and and indwells us with His Spirit. Thank You that we can live in the wholeness and completeness of His salvation. May each of us experience that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.